Hi, it's Chris Watkin here, and I'm joined by John Cook, who is the CEO of EPROP. EPROP being the owners of the Guild, Fine and Country, Starbury, um, basically a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. Thanks for joining me today, John. Good to see you. John, you're a very well-known estate agent. You ran your move for a while. You set up your own estate agency in Hertfordshire, and now you're the CEO of EPROP, which basically runs Finer Country, the Guild, and a, a sleuth of exceptional PropTech suppliers. Um, what I'd like to do is go back to 1988 and talk to you about your estate agency story so the boys and girls out there in estate agency land can learn a little bit more about you. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. So, John, um, 1988, what made you want to be an estate agent? Talk to me. Uh, actually, it's 1986. All right. Okay. Funny enough, I've got a, uh, uh, my, the original letter from the original company that I started with on my uh, downstairs cloakroom wall. And I read it this morning, and it's 1986, and I was on £3,000 per annum. Wow. Uh, and it was a local company uh, called Mullocks, who was still around in, in Bishop Stortford. Tony Mullocks was the owner then. And um, it's actually my auntie that got me the job. Okay. She was uh, well-connected locally. Uh, it's all about who you know. And she got me the job as a trainee. And why? Uh, mainly because I enjoyed property, and I enjoyed um, being out and about, really. So how old were you in 1986? Oh, that's a good question. 17. I think I started when I was 17. So did you leave, had you just left school, fifth year or whatever uh, it is called? In, in I did a year at um, what I joke with my children is Harlow University, but it's actually Harlow College uh, in business studies and then went straight into... Uh, was uh, it a one-year course or did you just... One-year course, one-year And what made, um, what made you want to be in a statement or did you just kind of fall uh, into it? No, I didn't fall into it. Um, I My father was uh, a builder and had built lots of properties and sort of a new property and uh, it was quite a cool thing to be in the 80s as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, 86, so 86 87, the, the property market was on fire. Literally on fire, it was, yes. Yeah, you, you boys and girls think um, that, you know, the last 12 months has been on fire. You, 88, 87, 88 was really on fire. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time to be around the property industry. It was a very localised business then. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, 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 in a local market town. There was lots of growth as well, lots of new developments. Um, so, yeah, it was a good, good time to be This was Bishop Stortford, was it? Yeah, in the, the business had five or six offices dotted around those locations. So I started literally as a trainee. And I can remember the day I started, there was a memo around the rest of the team, basically just saying, don't let this person in front of any customers, don't let this person answer the phone, don't let, because it was literally as a trainee. There wasn't really a lot of opportunities for trainee little then, um, but, but, but as I say, it was a, a great start, and I, I thank the, the company that put me on the road, really. Now, you became branch manager very quickly, didn't you? Yes. I mean, the, or was the it valuer first? Valuer first, so I literally used to turn up in the morning and... Um, Morning meeting, we did have morning meeting, and then we'd be, I'd be out all day, which is the bit I enjoyed, uh, sitting on the sofa talking to the customers. Uh, and so uh, then moved pretty quickly to being, I was actually, we were taken over then by Prudential Property Services, because I'm, I'm gonna talk about during this series consolidation in our industry now, but there was actually quite a lot of consolidation going on then. They, they had a massive checkbook, didn't they? Yeah, uh, they were at 800 offices at one point, um, and they bought our business, and that 
for someone at my young age gave me lots of opportunity because I was able to move my career on quite quickly. And I was the youngest um, office manager for Prudential Property Services at, at 18, 18 or 19, I think, which, uh, uh, you know, was, was, was pretty exciting times then. Um, and, and actually, I, th I then left that business uh, and started up my own estate agency business when I was 21. Let's come back to you being at Mullocks. What did you love about being an estate agent at that time? Um, well, I, I think that there was lots of, you know, lots of learning. I enjoyed the, the being out and about, seeing customers, okay. showing them property, understanding um, how deals were put together. It was a very fast-paced industry. You know, nothing stood still. It was, we worked really hard. You know, we were working literally actually seven days a week because we were open Sundays, obviously. Uh, and, and technology was very starting to come into the industry then. What, you mean colour photographs? <laughs> colour photographs, yeah. They, Can you yeah, remember they sticking were, them yeah, on the browser? Yeah, yeah and the, the photocopiers and all that sort of thing. Um, but I also enjoyed, uh, as, as, as a lister, as they called them, uh, taking the instructions, the, how I presented the property. It was very important to make sure that I enjoyed the, the, the attention to detail of making that property look at the best it could be. Are you a bit of a perfectionist? Um, in certain things I am, yes. And, and certainly how, how, how the image of the property looked and, the, and, and how I presented the, the property was very key to the marketing. If you don't mind me saying, you're not, in terms of your personality style and type, you're not a normal estate agent in, in the fact that you, I would classify more you as a hub as opposed to a, you know, an outward going people. You are a people person but you're a little bit more reserved. What, what, what do you put that one down to? That's an interesting question. Um, uh, I, I, I think... Uh, you I know mean, the is, normal there, is there a typical estate agent? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the typical estate agent is it's all about the deals, it's all about me, um, look at my figures. It's, um, you know, you put a house on the market, if you lose it, it's the end of the world. It, you know, it's like a dagger going through your heart. I, I think, I think um, what I did enjoy about a state agency and do still about enjoy when I talk to a state agency is there is a little bit of an element of, as a list of instant gratification. You know, you talk to the customer, you put the house on the market, you're on the journey. Yes. Uh, um, and so uh, whilst the figures end up speaking for themselves, if you, if, you, if, you, if you listen to the customer and you deliver on what they require, then the figures will look after themselves. Yes. And of, often when in that listening to the customer, it's actually about they have a reason to move and you can as an agent facilitate that and make that happen that's what's most important to them if you do that the numbers will look after themselves you know I, i've spoken to people in the industry you know i like to do my homework before i mean we've known each other now for over 15 years but um and the word is visionary that's not the sort of tag that you would normally describe a good old job in valuer lister as in visionary that you know that you know that what most estate agents and i'm talking about most valuers here okay a very estate agency works for them they don't work for, for for the vendor it's all about getting the figures in it's all about self-gratification that they're long-term they consider long-term the size of their chain whilst, uh, whilst yeah. we i've known you as i said for 10 or 15 years you are a very long term, you are a big picture macro sort of person. You're not a micro, I need the deal, otherwise I'm going to go home and get well, drunk. No. <laughs> well, I suppose, I suppose then uh, that, that's followed my career, really, because I've, I've tended to be, to look at the position that I was in and, and, and think slightly bigger. So, um, 
it was very interesting through the Prudential Property Services days of seeing them consolidate the industry uh, and make a lot of mistakes uh, and then unravel it and it went back to, 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 to more in industry um, from an independent state agency point of view. So, so uh, I've seen some bigger picture things work and I've seen some bigger, bigger picture things fail. Um, and, and one of the perhaps main parts of my career is when I started my own estate agency in 21, it meant I could look at different ways of evolving that business and looking at estate agency as a business, not, not just that's as a quite career. Mature, that's quite mature for a 31-year-old estate agent, let alone a 21. Where did you get that one from? Is that your parents? Uh, my parents were, were, all ran their own businesses, um, some, you know, successfully and unsuccessfully, and you learn from both, don't you? So you started your own agency in 92. Let's be frank, the property market between 99, you know, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I think it was probably 91, I think. Uh, what, 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 what was the advantage there was that the housing market had tailed off because of, um, I think, the doubles tax relief as yep. such. Dual so we had a yep. peak and then a trough. And so taking on commercial premises was easier. Uh, there was less cost to, to become agency. And, and I'd call that, I joined, I joined a state agency, what I would call the second wave of a state agency. And there's a lot of people in our industry that, that did, that started their own businesses within the, <coughs> the 90s, that sort of drove the second wave of the state agency. Okay, and I know we're going to go this in, the, in a standalone video, but what was the first wave, just to give context to the people watching? I, 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 I won't take credit for this commentary on the industry, but, but, but Peter Knight often mentions the first wave, second wave, and third wave, and, and, and the first wave was probably more the sort of surveyors, uh, uh, the sort of tweed jacket brigade yes. as such, um, uh, and then the industry moved slightly into the second wave. And I think we'll talk about it uh, uh, later on. But, but I joined in that marketing drive, uh, which, um, which, and, and probably that was at the sort of start of the internet as well, coming into the sector. Yeah, I mean, so you started with a couple of business colleagues. Um, were you scared? No. You, surely you must. Have, I mean, what what? Was it frustrations that made you start your own agency? Uh, I think the opportunity was there. The, the, at the time, there was the consolidation that had happened, hadn't worked. You had the likes of Cornerstone, um, Prudential Property God, Services, Woolwich Property Services. Wow. A lot of the, uh, I mean, going back, if, if a lot of the banks and building societies got in because mm -hmm. it seemed to be the thing to do. Uh, <clears throat> and they were unravelling, really. Um, and so there was lots of opportunity uh, to take to take market share. It was a very localised business, and the state agency still is a local business. It was obviously coined one of your phrases: the uh, to be. It was quite easy to become your local mayor. Yeah. You know, you put five pages in the local paper, and you leaflet oh. drop the town, and suddenly you were the local mayor. Slightly different nowadays, and we'll yeah. talk about that in the digitalisation of the industry. But but from from the perspective of a, of a local agent, um, it was quite easy to get market share. I was very well known locally, uh, and, and, and as I said earlier, uh, you know, I cared about the customer and, and, and you soon get recommended if that's the case. Did you do it to earn more money? Was no, it wasn't a money thing. No. Because there's a lot, you know, would you say that the motivation is doing a good job and being seen to be doing a good job yeah. and helping someone and on I, their next I'm a great career. believer if you, if, you if, you, if you listen to the customers, you do the right thing, then money will follow, and in business as well. Okay, so throughout the 90s, the property market was hard work, but you know, good agents would, would earn well. Did you grow it from one branch, or was it? 
Yes, we we um, we grew to about seven or eight branches, um, and uh, and that that changes the dynamics. Uh, you suddenly become more people manager. Uh, you, you you have to. To, uh, you're responsible for, for people's livelihoods. It changes the dynamics slightly. A lot of people say that going from one branch to two branches and the difficult third branch is, is the route. If you can get past three, you're doing okay. Yeah. What tips would you give to people in hindsight? Where did you go wrong on that So one? nowadays, I'm not so sure it's all about dots on maps and branches, but 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 there's there, there still has to be somewhere for people to work. Um, I think the mistakes we made are we felt that we could replicate some of that that we'd done in areas where we'd been ingrained in other locations just by turning up. Yes. And we needed to have a better plan as to how we were going to dominate markets. Um, so you know, we made we made a lot of mistakes, but but we we it's all about people and attracting the right talent within the location. And there's a massive problem across the industry with talent at the moment. Definitely. Um, and it became pretty apparent that it was very much about. The manager and the team within the office. A lot of people have said to me that employing, parachuting in someone from someone else into a new branch is quite difficult because they haven't got the ethos and the of the firm. Would you agree with that? And probably, you know, promote a mini me from somewhere else into a new branch. Is that a? Um, I, I, I think so. So I think if you can recruit internally or in. Uh, bring people along with internally, understand your values, your, your, the direction of travel of the business, then then it's it's going to be more successful than necessarily bringing the latest shiny person into the to the company. But we had examples of both, to be fair. So um, it's always good to promote within if you can. So you'd grown your branches, seven or eight branches. Were you enjoying it? You said you were a people person? Yeah, I, I think I, I was enjoying the the challenge of, of, of running a business. Uh, we were members of the Guild of Property Professionals, so we were getting quite a lot of meetings together with other regional businesses around us. Did you enjoy that, talking to like-minded We all had, yes, I mean, we all had the same challenges. It's, it's, it can be quite lonely uh, running, a, running a business, even if you've got you know, a couple of business partners. So um, uh, we, we shared ideas as part of a network, and, and that continues today. You know, sharing of ideas is, is, is um, part of what we do. Now in 2002, we've got you to blame for finding a country, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, that's quite quite an interesting story to that. Uh, and that was, um, it actually comes down to one listing, the start of finding country. Okay. Shall I tell you the story? Yes, please. Okay, all right, okay. So um, I was, uh, was at a, a, a listing of a it was one of the biggest houses in in the town at then. It was about five hundred thousand pounds. I mean, you know, we're talking we're talking, we're talking a few years ago now, so it was actually quite a lot of money. Uh, and I was um, talking to the lady of the house about us marketing her home. Our, our brand was 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 called Inter County at the time, and we had six or seven offices locally, and we're, we're market leaders in our town. And this particular client had I'd used had used me to buy investment properties and and, and knew me knew me well uh, and. Um, and sort of said, yep, thanks very much for the valuation, John, we'll come back to you. Uh, I then phoned, as you do, and said, actually, and, uh, I've got somebody who would be very interested in, in buying this house uh, at, at, at that price, could they come round? And, and, and the lady of the house said, well, I'd like to talk to my husband this evening, could we come back to you tomorrow? Lo and behold, I got the phone call from the, the husband of the house the next day saying, I'm really sorry, John, we trust you, we like you, 
we think you're the right person to deal with our investment properties, but your business doesn't have the right image to sell our half a million pound house. So we are going to go with X. And this would be probably a two million pound house today, do you oh, think? at least. Two yeah. or three? Yeah, yeah. How did that make you feel? Uh, slightly frustrated. The reason being is that the particular agent that did list it, which I, let's categorise them without mentioning names, as one of said the landed gentry agents as such. The upper quartile Yeah, they'd come into our town recently. Uh, and, 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 and they actually ended up selling the property to the person that I had oh. wanted to send round on that day. So they, they earned themselves, you know, seven or eight thousand pounds or whatever it was then. So, so it was frustrating, but it actually made me realise that I needed to do something about it. Uh, so we created, and this was when the internet was coming into the sector, you know. Yeah, um, right move just started in 2000, so yeah. yeah. So it was, it was um, uh, you know, quite poignant. And, and we launched Fine and Country. We bought the URL Fine and Country, built out the website. It had virtual tours, which were new at the time. You could do commentary on the property over the website. And we launched Fine and Country as really saying to that customer when I went around to them again, you're turning left on the plane. We're going to give you a specialist bespoke service that is actually, you know, the white glove treatment. Uh, and that worked incredibly well for us. Uh, we then started to network with a number of agents around us, putting our top premium properties mm -hmm. together. Um, so a number of, of colleagues in, in the industry in different geographical locations. And then we felt that this was working, uh, the combination of the quality agent giving a bespoke structured marketing plan to the, uh, um, to the client. And then we basically rolled it out across the UK in conjunction with uh, the Guild of Property Professionals. Because let's be honest, you've got to be pretty decent to be a Guild agent. So you're almost selling like a license yeah, I mean, I think not, they're not not every fine and country agent is a guild agent because it doesn't work for no. everybody. But 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 yes, I mean, certainly the 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 network is a very quality network. Let's just li literally just go down the rabbit hole of fine and country. You must be very proud of what it's achieved so far. Uh, yes, I mean, it, it it was a really exciting journey to start with because it was really a bringing technology and marketing together at that stage in in the form of the website. Uh, and this was very early days. I don't think even Prime Location had launched or was just about to launch. So we sort of look, looked at it as a competitor as such. Um, so yeah, very, very, very pleased with how it's gone. I think there's probably that actually it's a, in the last 18 months, it's really, and it's now, I think, just about to have its time internationally as well. So there's some quite exciting things on the horizon for Fine and Country. And, and we have got, what's been great about Fine and Country is it attracts brilliant people. I mean, you've got the wonderful Jonathan Hanford and, and uh, Damien Merry, who's, who's not, you know, he's <laughs> a bit of a character. Yeah. He's a character, bless him. Yeah, it brings some characters a bit, but, it, but, but, but professional. Professional, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. And, and, and um, what, what I like about it is we've started an associate program in a small way. We're not trying to, you know, we don't want thousands of associates, but we, we want to work with like minded quality people that want to run their own premium market business. And I'd look at this as saying it's a little bit about being an independent property advisor. So you're like you'd be an independent financial advisor to someone, you're an independent property advisor and you're basically just working with that person on their whole property needs. Not only on what they sell, but what they're gonna buy what as well. Buy, the investment properties, everything. And you're able to be a trusted representative of, of their property. Do you, does it feel disappointing that some people almost buy a fine and country license and don't get it 
and some do. That must hurt sometimes. Not hurt or be disappointing. Because um, let's be honest, good question. there's some exceptional, truly exceptional agents within the Final Country Network, and we know damn well, and I'm not, I'm not going to mention names, there are people who've just bought it because they don't want their competitors to have it and don't do much with it. Um, I, I, in any network, you, you get, you get your, your top players and your, your bottom players, I presume, and, and the, we've got a new CEO that's joined us, Simon's come in at night, Frank, and has got some very uh, interesting ideas as to how he's going to deal with, with, with that. So I think there's uh, lots of um, new and innovative ideas. That's a good ideas. coup, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, uh, he's got a good team with Nikki as well. Mm, I mean, you know, we've, we've got a yeah, we've got a, gr a great team of people running that business, and and I'm really personally very very excited about the future of finding country in the UK and 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 internationally. Well, be chuffed with it because I tell you what, there aren't that many estate agents that I'm impressed with in terms of the way they market and portray themselves, but finding country is certainly at the top there. I, yeah, thank well, you. You know, in the past you used to say you'd give Savills a run for your money. I think. You're up there, if not sometimes, especially with those agents that are embracing the power of video. You're blowing these, I, I, I can mention these names, you can't. You're <laughs> Knight Franks and Savills of this world out in the water. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, the, the good thing is, is that we're, we're, we're delivering on our, what we say to our clients. We're giving them a bespoke marketing service that hopefully achieves them what they want to achieve in their move. Um, so that's what a state agency is about, isn't it? Just moving one person from one chapter of their life yeah, to the next. It is, it's interesting often, you know, a state agency can be a, a, a people can pitch a bag of a bag of features, or, but at the end of the day, it is okay. someone has a reason to move, and you're there to help them do it. Too right. Uh, so you got to the age of 34, 35, 36, and you decided to sell out or sell up to LSL. Yes, I mean uh, the, the the business had 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 moved on, and I, and. Um, in terms of selling selling out, I'm not sure I'd quite classify it as that. I think what I realised is that... Um, Were you getting bored? No. What I was finding is that suddenly there was the ability to take investment into the business and grow, and grow in a different way. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so what we did is we created a vehicle with, with LSL called LSLI, which was looking at offering exit route strategies to people that did want to sell. Yeah. yeah, because if you don't mind me saying, you know, and I know you're not involved with LSL at the moment, but they are quite a forward-thinking firm in the fact is that how many estate agents chains buy a chain and homogenize them into the, you know, into the network with and rebrand them as the, as, the, as the company brand. LSLI went out buying little mini chains and retaining the branding. You know, yeah, that, that, that was very much the strategy and also um, offering the business owners a route to exit over a period of time, uh, but investing in their business, allowing them to acquire lettings books within their geography uh, and really um, taking advantage of some of the scale that is in the sector now. Were you the first one to be bought out by LSL? Uh, yes, what, what, what we did is we created a entity by using our business as the first business and then added other businesses in and there's you know there's other examples of that happening across the industry so that's 2006 that property market's going along quite nicely um you were growing a network i believe 60 branches nine nine it wasn't there yet but it was, it was getting it was that way yeah. and then the credit crunch hit yeah that was a tough time i think it was a tough time for everybody on our industry um 
if you look at the, the 2000s, the first part mm. of it, the, you know, the industry was motoring. Um, housing market was very strong. Buy-to-let had come in, so there was quite a lot of uh, lettings activity as well, so it wasn't just sales. And then all of a sudden, the brakes turned up on, 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 on the industry and the credit crunch hit very quickly. And that was probably one of the toughest times of my career because we had to make some pretty tough business decisions. Um, and that often when it, there's tough business decisions, they involve people, um, it, it becomes a, a, a hard, hard for everybody. Um, what I would say is, is um, at that time we had LSL as, part, as our partner, as, as our investor, and, and they were very supportive. And we moved quite quickly out of it, and it, we were able then to uh, make further acquisitions and, and grow quite quickly out, out of the financial crisis. Did you have any sleepless nights or anything like that when you were having to make these decisions? You know, you were changing people's lives here, making people redundant. I mean, what tips would you give to people watching this? Because, you know, we're going into 2022. If the housing market doesn't kick on again, then there's going to be some, there's going to have to be some wastage, wastage, awful word. But there, there could be, you know, there's not enough properties around, flying around at the moment to pay everyone's wages, is there? Yeah, I think we're in a different, different market. Uh, and the economy is in a different okay. place than it was back in okay. 2008. But, yep. but, but Simple you, houses, there aren't, there aren't many houses being sold at the moment, and we earn our money from sales. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah and, and lettings. Um, so I think, going back to 2008, yeah, it, there, there were some, some sleepless nights. As, as, to be fair, over the last 18 months to two years, there has been as we went into a global pandemic. I mean, you know, what was okay. the business going to look like through, through that? What did you learn from that that's helped you be a better person now? Uh, from the from the well, 08, I, I the, the 08, Well, let's do both. Oh eight, when you know you had to make some dis difficult decisions and make people redundant, and then we'll come on to the COVID as well. Uh, I think if I go back to oh eight, which is uh, is the first point, um, I can remember at a fine and country conference, standing on a stage saying, "I think we've had we've sort of been in our comfort zone for a period." It's been sort of too good to be true. Uh, and then suddenly we had this shock of the financial crisis. I mean, we've talked about it some time ago now, but it's, it's poignant because who knows what's around the corner. And, and, and it made us have to be better at running businesses, much better. Yes. Because you could sort of get away with just the whole pace of everything happening. Whereas as soon as the financial crisis came, we had to make some tough decisions. And, and you know, let's hope we're not having to make those sorts of decisions in, in the near to, to short-term future, but we, 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 we were then able to have to look at our businesses and, I think, run them better. Do you think what you learnt in 08, 09 made you in a better position to, to cope with what happened in COVID and lockdown? Uh, yes, absolutely, categorically. Did you have any sleepless nights when COVID hit? And I'm not talking about the health issues, which, are, which go without saying. Um, I think as a leader of a business at any size, when we went into the first part of the pandemic, whether you're a one-man band or you're running the biggest industry in our sector, or the biggest uh, business in our industry, you, 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 you would have made some, had some sleepless nights. Um, you know, I, 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 as leaders through the COVID period, um, it, you know, you had to really show leadership across the business. And there were some businesses, I think, that did some brilliant things and, and some businesses that didn't. In hindsight, do you would, would you have you done anything differently? In well, coming, through COVID? coming through COVID? No, I think uh, um, the team of people that I've got around me 
I mean, we, you have got we, some exceptional team. Yeah, I mean, we, looking we, at Guild, I mean, Ian McKenzie's amazing. Exactly. We, we gelled together. And, and it wasn't just us as a team. I can see this with other businesses as well. But, you know, the leadership team gelled together and, and, and Ian did a brilliant job across the Guild and, and, and we really did uh, deliver for our customers and kept the, the business on the straight and narrow, which is important. I mean, you, you made some concessions with, with regard, my understanding is, with regard to the subscriptions, which I know was very well received. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think we, we, we thought it through, but we came out quite quickly and we were the first in business within our industry to demand that everyone supported the industry by a reduction. Yes. And within the first week, we offered a reduction, a substantial reduction across our customer base and challenged the other big industries, bigger businesses than ours to do it. And many of them followed suit. And I think that's probably one of our proudest moments is that we were able to react so quickly. Uh, and you know, our, our relationship with our customers is better because of it, I think. Well, you, my I mean, I look at your numbers and your stats, you don't have that much churn, do you? No, uh, you know, touch wood, uh, we've got a, a very strong business mm. and we, you know, Ian, particularly across the Guild, passionate about quality and, and service and standards. Uh, Finding Country is a brilliant business growing. And then the recent businesses we brought in as we focus more on prop technology and the digitalization of the industry uh, are, are great businesses as well. So you were running LSI, and then you actually then went to run your move itself. I mean, you know, if I, if I was a betting man, I would have had you, uh, you know, even for the chairman's job if, you know, <laughs> by now. I'm not sure about that. Um, in, uh, what, what I love about uh, business is learning. Okay. Yeah, uh, and, and you constantly <laughs> learn, and, and, and you should be like a sponge. The more you learn, the more you can, can, um, can deliver. So... Whilst I was running LSL, I was still a, a, a non-exec board member of Fine and Country in the Guild, so I never left that business. But I was not work. I wasn't the CEO, and the original founder was still the CEO, so I was a board member. And yes, I ran your move for a period of time, and there's a, a great team of people there. Uh, they, if you don't mind me saying, both your move up in, the, in Newcastle and the guys at Leighton Buzzard with Connell Sequence, both quietly competent aren't they they just get on with it they don't wave mm. the flags or their willies or anything like that they just get <laughs> on with it don't they and, and look at them yeah. brilliant organizations yeah i mean uh you know they've survived the, the consol some consolidation and uh, they're very very good businesses very and, and it's you know if if you look at, at the merger that happened during the pandemic of countrywide and, yeah. and connell's um great business Connells has, 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 has acquired a good business and who, between who, the two of them it will go from strength to strength I'm sure 2015 though you left LSL yes I I am um, no particular reason I just could could see the potential across the core business and and went back into a, a running uh, the GPA okay so you're mid 40s you're getting a bit bored running a, a state agency no, not at all. No, I, I just think it was it felt the right thing to do. Um, in, in terms of, you know, I'd founded Finding Country, and I wanted to take it to the next stage, and wanted to also focus a little bit on the. I could see the. Do you like to build, process. you know, get something and take it on, and then almost when it's done, go and find something else to. Uh, I, I think I like to see what's coming next and be part of what's coming next and drive the business in that direction. This uh, is the I visionary need, thing we talked about. Maybe, maybe, yeah. 
uh, I, you know, I think you've got to have a strategy for, for what you're bad at, or sorry, not so good at, let's say, mm. in, in your career. So you, pick, you, know, you know the bits you're good at and the bits that you're not quite so good at, you need a strategy. And so I'm, I'm very clear that heads down operational might not be my strongest point, but you surround people with people that are good at that. I mean, do you have like a coach or a mentor over the years that's, you know, because self-awareness of these issues is the, first, is the big problem, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've, I've um, met many a coach and, and, and spent time with coaches, yes, but it's not something that I do on a, a regular basis, just when I feel the need to. So you went back to find a country to basically run find a country. Would that be a fair back in 15 then? Yeah, um, and, we, and we had a, an interesting time in our industry as well, didn't we? Because the, there was this whole, is everything going to move online conversation? Mm. Uh, and that's had quite a big impact on various bits of the industry, including consolidation, which we'll talk about another time, but also the digitalization. Of course, which again we're going to talk about, but you know, let's be honest, e, you know, by which time um, EPROP, which is backed up by the Tosca Fund, were they involved in this, you guys yet, in 15, or was, this, was that 17? 17, really, they came into. The... So basically, you know, you, EPROP had the top end, which was fine in country, you had the middle, which was obviously the guild, and they obviously then decided to go and buy Easy Property. Yeah, um, so... It, Which I thought was quite a good choice, because at the time, that was, where the business, that was where the business was going, wasn't it? You have to protect your clients, didn't you? Yes, I think the, the, um, the industry was, I mean, I think at one stage, not too distant time away from that. Purple Bricks was at a billion market cap, and everyone's telling us the industry was going to okay. go in this direction. Hindsight is a beautiful thing, isn't it? And yeah. every, everyone can sit and say, well, I told you so. But at the time, everyone was Purple Bricks mad. That was where the market was going, and you covered yourself. And rightly so. Yeah, I mean, I think our, our job, as a, um, if we look at I mean, one part of our business is the membership organisation. Our job is to protect our members and look after them and make sure that we supply them with what's needed. Uh, and at the time, um, there was a perceived online threat. I think we're going to talk about at some stage. We're going to we're going to go down that this rabbit hole. Yeah. I'd, I'd like I don't want to spend too much on on this because I'd like to go down that rabbit hole in the digitalisation video, which we'll t do a separate video, boys and girls, uh, for you to watch on my YouTube channel. So. Obviously, so Easy Property came, Easy Property went. You still got the two core, two core uh, of the guild and find a country. But what made you start going to buy prop tech suppliers like Starbury, Property Jungle, Libro? Um, so, if you don't mind me saying, th those are very, very clever purchases. Yeah, very clever. Thank you. Um, uh, we, because you were CEO now, you were running the show. You were, you know, the captain of the ship. Well, we've got, I've got a great team of people uh, around me, which is part of, of why we can do these sorts of things. And what's, what I've seen in my days of acquiring estate agency businesses is part of the attraction and part of the upside is you bring talented people into the organisation. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in the last year, we've done three acquisitions in the prop tech space and we brought some real great talent into they the organisation. And yeah. we've got others to come, I'm sure. Uh, uh, and I think... As state agency industry is consolidating, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in quite a big way, so will the prop tech industry. Um, and if you look at the prop tech industry, there's probably 800 suppliers. I mean, if you speak to Simon Well at Kafafel, he's probably got them all in his black book. There's, you know, there's, he's probably done a video on all of them as well. <laughs> <laughs> there's 800 suppliers. But you could probably um, 
80% of them are dross. Well, you could probably say... I, that's my words. Okay. You 20% of them are amazing, though, aren't Okay, they? so you could probably say goodbye to half of them because it's prop tech that doesn't affect the estate agency industry, like architects or warehouse distribution or whatever. Then you get to 400. But actually, the real third wave of agency, which we'll talk about, is the digitalization of the process. And, and, and an example of that is... Yesterday, I booked a uh, flight, okay, for myself and my wife. Um, I booked the flight on the phone. I chose the seats. I decided what package I want. I could book the food on the phone. And then when the credit card went through, I went to my banking app. I did a facial recognition to accept it, and I'd done everything. Now, our customers are doing that, and our future customers yeah. and our current customers are doing what I did Sunday morning at my breakfast bar in everything else they do in their life. But not in the state agency. Not in the state agency. And, and, and so what we've got to realise is that we are actually at the first stages of digitalisation of our industry. We, we, we aren't even anywhere near where it's going to go. No. And, and there are probably, there's probably, as I've come across in this prop tech world, there's probably a handful of agents that are getting it, yeah, and are starting to realise that there's seven or eight bits of prop tech you need to wrap around your CRM to make it happen where you can create a digital journey. It won't be for every customer, but it will be for the future, basically future protecting your business. It's interesting. I'm talking to, to some people in the industry and they say that the, the forward-thinking agents are the ones with your five, six, seven, eight branches. that they, They're big enough. Why is that? Because there's, there's a lot of one-man bands out there and then you've always got the big boys. It's all about homogenization, you know, your corporates. Why do, why do, why is, why are the most forward-thinking estate agents the ones with five to seven branches? Um, maybe they've got time to work on the business rather than in the business. Uh, and I think that's the advantage of, of, of where we are as an organization is we've got the prop tech. We've also got the distribution uh, and the long tail distribution. So we can make sure that we protect our members by coming up with these innovations. They can decide to use them okay. or not. But at the end of the day, this will be customer driven. So, so you know, your stuff like your Starbridge, you're not just going to keep that for people who are in the guild. That's, that can be for anyone. But, but by protecting, by buying Starbridge, you can, and because you've got your network, you can offer it to your, your clients. Who, and if your client is a one-man band, they get the benefits of a big branch network. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, and what it also allows us to do is, is um, invest much more in technology because we've got the distribution. So, so we, we, we still win on both sides. I mean, what's Tosca Funds? What, why are they doing this? Um, well, well, Tosca Funds are, you know, an investor and uh, he, he wants to see uh, our business grow, as you can imagine. And, and our part of the attraction of what we're doing is, is we're able to continue to offer a multiple of services they're not looking to sell on. They're looking to build something to become a cash cow, which, let's be honest, we're all in business to make money, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're great supporters of us and, and, and want to see us to continue to, 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 to grow. Um, I mean, you, you've got to look at an agent spend and, and more and more of it is going on technology. Mm -hmm. um, and what, one argument you've got in this process of digitalization, which we will cover another time, is that the agents, I think, need to be spending on their own digital footprint rather than relying on some of the aggregators, i.e. the portals as such. So, so there's a balance. Yeah, because there's, you know, the, the, you're right moves of this world. You can soon spend two, three thousand pounds a month on the whiz-bang packages. 
yeah. and let's not go down that route because <laughs> we don't want Miles Shipside shouting at us. Well, uh, there's lots of lots of comments in the industry about pricing and, and right move, but because you asked me a question about when I started my estate agency business, and I, you know, it is sometimes worth looking backwards, although it's a long time ago and it does make me look very old, and sometimes I hate it. Um, but I can honestly remember, I was trying to work out whether I paid £280 a page or £320 a page in okay. a local paper, but it was something like what that. What year was that? Right, this would have been when I started. So, so this would have been... Okay, so that's 88, that's, uh, that's 92. Well, say 90s, early 90s. Okay. So, so just, just, just let me finish, right? So, so that, uh, we were having five, four to five pages a week. Okay? So you equate that. Well, that's a grand a week. At least. Okay. Now, being a property statistician myself, inflation from the 1990s today is a, running at about a 60 to 70%. Yeah. So therefore, that's £1,600 a week. Quite possibly. So, so I think we, where, where we've got to, the advantage of... So right move at a couple of grand's cheap as chips. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> I, 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 I think we, we, you've just got to look at it. It's about lead generation. And, and I think lead generation is key. The issue with the aggregators is that they give the leads to everybody. Our, our, my argument is you need to also have a strategy around focusing your spend on your own digital presence to make sure the leads are yours so smart. and be able to track those leads and the return on investment on those leads as well because otherwise it's a black hole such insight such insight where's the future for you then going forward i know you're a couple of you're a non-executive directors for loman group uh you know they're on a, a buying spree at the moment and i am property with the wonderful guys from up in newcastle yeah and one of the the um, great things about my role over the years is I've bumped into some brilliant people and uh, uh, that Benny, Ben and Jamie at uh, I Am Property, I, I'd put in that camp, you know, they've built a brilliant business. Oh, lovely um, people. Uh, and, uh, and so that, fun as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, they, they do the fun bit. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's growing and, uh, and supplying agents of all size, the, the online auction and, and com compliance products. Um, from, from my perspective, it's continuing to uh, listen to our customer base, which is great because we have various forums that we can listen to our customers, whether within Starbury or customers or, or, or the Guild or Fine and Country, and making sure that we deliver on um, supplying products, particularly from a technology perspective. And, and I think where the industry is going is, I mentioned that seven or eight PropTech products, that there are examples of agents that are spending thousands of pounds on various bits of PropTech. Yeah. That, that don't talk to each other. That isn't sustainable. No. Yeah. So uh, there'll be some consolidation in PropTech and then the, the products will need to talk to each other. And I think the end result will be that to really digitalize your business, you'll have a CRM system of your choice, seven or eight PropTech wrappers around it, and everything will talk to each other and the customer, if they want to, will be able to interact on an app. That, that, that's the way it's gone in every other industry, so why won't it go in ours? And that's what you—that's what you, as John Cook, wanted to drive forward with your being the boss man of of EPROP to enable this, so you can make a difference to people's lives, which is what you said at the start. That's why you love estate agency. Yeah, I mean, I think it, 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 it's it's customer led. If that's what the customers want, and that's what they're getting in other parts of their life, then then why should we not deliver? And if we deliver that to our our customers, i.e., our members, licensees, and, and and customers, then then their businesses are going to improve. So, um, yeah, it's a. It, it, it's an interesting space. As I said earlier, we're right at the start of digitalization of our industry. Often we are a bit behind, 
we're just at the start of it now. And I think, um, and businesses of all sizes will need to focus on this. John, thank you for your time today. Um, I'd like to do some separate videos about digitalization, consolidation um, in the industry. But to conclude, thank you for your time today. Um, you certainly are a fantastic thought leader in the industry. That's why I wanted to get you on this sofa because if you don't mind me saying, you do keep your, your light under a bushel, if you don't <laughs> pardon the pun. And I just wanted to share with the boys and girls out there in the state agency yeah. land, you know, I've known you for 10 or 15 years, um, how good you are. And I know you don't take praise particularly well, so I don't expect you to say anything. But thank you for your time today, and I hope you have enjoyed what John has had to say. Yeah. Thank, thank you for inviting me. Thank, thank you. you.